0: Welcome back to Crown on Canvas, the Tudors in Art and History. In this season of Accessible Art History, the podcast, we're using portraits to explore the magnificent and sometimes maligned Tudor dynasty. From Henry VII to Elizabeth I, this family ruled England for 118 years. And don't forget, the six wives of Henry VIII will cover them too. Each episode has an accompanying blog post, so make sure to check it out using the link in the show notes. We can't wait to go on this exciting art historical journey with you. Welcome back to Accessible Art History, the podcast. In this week's episode of Crown & Canvas, we're wrapping up the life of King Henry VIII. It's been a wild ride so far, and we still have four wives to go. Just a quick reminder, each wife will be getting at least one episode to cover her life, so don't worry if things seem to be moving a little quickly. Additionally, I'm thrilled to announce that this is the 100th episode of Accessible Art History, the podcast. This is a huge milestone, and I couldn't have done it without all of the support, love, and encouragement from my friends, family, and listeners where the next 100 episodes take us and really thank you from the bottom of my heart so without further ado let's see how henry's story ends before we get to the story of course we have to introduce today's image it's arguably one of the most famous paintings of the king dating from the mid-1530s it was created by court painter hans holbein at the time he was working on a monumental mural for the palace of whitehall and this portrait served as both preparatory and a reference work sadly the palace was destroyed by fire in 1698 so the originals are lost However, many copies thankfully survive, including some contemporary ones. This gives a great lens into the persona that Henry wanted Holbein to capture for eternity. The most striking element about this portrait is Henry's confident pose. His hands are placed on his hips, he puffs out his chest, and he squares his shoulders. Henry's right hand rests comfortably upon the hilt of his sword, while his left hovers just above a dagger. He's not so subtly letting the viewer know that he has weapons, and he knows how to use them. Another not-so-subtle part of this painting is Henry's codpiece. Similar to a cup worn by modern athletes, this item of clothing was placed over a male's pubic region as a way of covering the fly on the front of the hose. However, over time, men began to exaggerate this item of clothing to make themselves look, well, more endowed. To be frank, there's no missing that part in this painting. As with the previous image of Henry that we studied in last week's episode, this one also features insanely decorated clothing. Henry's garments are clearly made of the finest materials and decorated with elaborate jewels. All of these details combined to make a magnificent portrait of King Henry VIII. All right, now that we have the art out of the way, dive into the story. We last left off with Henry VIII executing his second wife, Anne Boleyn, and quickly moving on with one of her maids. Her name was Jane Seymour, and she was from a noble family from Somerset. Jane came to court in 1532 to serve as a maid to Catherine of Aragon. Four years later, she was the Queen of England. Pressure was on. Henry had already had two marriages that failed to result in a son and heir. Thankfully for Jane, she conceived quickly. There are court documents that record that she was pregnant before Christmas 30- 1536, but she lost a child early in the pregnancy. However, fate was on her side and she conceived again in the new year. She alerted Henry by telling him that she had a craving for quails. Thrilled, the king sent for the finest birds from Calais. In September 1537, Jane Seymour entered her traditional confinement. A month later, on October 12, 1537, the long-awaited Tudor heir and prince was born. He was christened Edward after his paternal grandfather. By all accounts, Henry was thrilled and validated by the birth of a healthy boy. He had finally accomplished one of the king's most important tasks. However, Henry's happiness was short-lived. Short records tell us that Jane's labor was hard and long, lasting three days. It is believed that this was due to the baby not being in a proper birthing position. Sadly, a labor lasting this long in early modern times was almost a guarantee of an illness called childbed fever. This could be a bacterial infection caused by the lack of cleanliness standards and the possibility that Jane didn't pass the placenta fully. 12 days after the birth of her son, James Seymour died of complications from childbirth. Henry, by all accounts, was devastated by the death. While elated at the birth of an heir, it had cost him nearly everything. As devastated as he was, though, his council had to act quickly to secure a new queen and a spare heir to the throne. Next, we're going to continue through Henry's marital history, but first, let's take a quick break. My goal is to bring art history content to anyone that's curious. All my platforms can be accessed for free, but there are ways you can support my cause. If you enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a rate and review on your favorite platform. I also have a Patreon and Buy Me A Coffee account set up if you feel inclined to support accessible art history monetarily. However, I commit to always bringing my work for free because I believe that education should be accessible for those who want and need it. Thank you for listening to today's episode and keep an eye out for more art history content from Accessible Art History. All right, now that we're back, it's time to discuss Henry's life in the latter half of the 1530s. Despite his personal devastation, Henry had been raised to understand his duty to the throne. At the insistence of his council, they began searching for a bride abroad. A woman with familial ties to a strong protestant country was preferable because of a potential alliance. One of the women considered was Christina of Denmark. She was connected to both the royal family of her home country, but she was also the niece to Charles V, Holy Roman Emperor. However, Henry's reputation preceded him. When Christina heard of the king's interests, she allegedly remarked that if she had two heads, the king could gladly have one. It took a few years, but Henry and his council finally secured a royal bride. Her name was Anna of Cleves, and she was from the Protestant Duchy in what is now Germany. Her brother, William, was the duke, and he was considered to be the political leader of the Protestant faction of the Western Holy Roman Empire. The marriage was arranged to strengthen ties between England and Protestant states in the face of potential threats from larger Catholic powers. Upon Anne's arrival in England, Henry was disappointed with her physical appearance, finding her less attractive than the flattering portrait he had received prior to the marriage negotiations. And don't worry, we'll be looking at that portrait in a future episode. This initial impression led to a growing dissatisfaction on Henry's part. Despite Anne's efforts to win his favor, their marriage remained unconsummated, and the king sought an annulment on those grounds. In fact, the king rudely referred to her as a Flanders mayor. Thomas Cromwell, who played the key role in arranging the marriage, fell out of a favor as a result of the failed union. And by fell out of favor, I mean he was executed under acts of attainder. Henry was so furious at his once-trusted minister, Cromwell had let it slip, Henry was unable to consummate his marriage, which made Henry a bit of a laughing stock among other royals and courts. The king couldn't stand this and had Cromwell charged with treason and summarily executed. Anne's fate was much luckier. She accepted the annulment graciously and was granted with estates that would sustain her for the rest of her life. It's likely she saw the fate of her predecessors and knew when to take a good deal. Remarkably, Anne of Cleves and Henry VIII maintained a cordial relationship after the annulment, and she was eventually known as the king's beloved sister. Anne lived in England for the rest of her life, enjoying the privileges and honors granted by Henry. The annulment of Henry VIII's marriage to Anne of Cleves had significant consequences. It marked the downfall of Thomas Cromwell and contributed to religious shifts in England during the Reformation. Once again, Henry found himself without a wife. Additionally, his impotence problems had become court gossip across Europe. What was a king to do? Why? Take another wife. This time around, Henry set his sights on a beautiful young woman in his own court. Her name was Catherine Howard, and she was the first cousin of the ill-fated Anne Boleyn. She was stunning, vivacious, and full of life, exactly what Henry was looking for in his next queen. However, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the large age gap between the two. Due to scarce birth records, historians can't be certain of Catherine's age at the time of her marriage, but it is estimated that she was around 17 years old. The king, however was 49 catherine's time as queen was short-lived and her actions caught the attention of the court it was revealed that she engaged in romantic and sexual relationships with other men including thomas culpepper her cousin and a very trusted member of the king's inner circle two were apparently in love enough to become betrothed despite her actually being married they would attempt to meet in secret with catherine's lady-in-waiting jane boleyn playing middleman and looking out However, despite their best efforts, the indiscretions became known, a scandal unfolded, and tarnished the reputation of the queen and king. In 1542, Catherine Howard faced charges of adultery and treason. The king, devastated by the betrayal, authorized investigations. The evidence against her was compelling, and Catherine admitted to her relationships. Her trial was swift, and she was found guilty of treason. Her lover, Thomas Culpepper, was also charged with treason and sentenced to death. The young queen's fate was sealed, and on February 13, 1542, Catherine Howard was executed at the Tower of London. Her death marked another tragic chapter in Henry's marital history, adding to a narrative of failed marriages. At the time of Catherine's marriage, Henry was working hard on another political front. For hundreds of years, England and Scotland had had a contentious relationship, to say the least. I discussed it a bit in earlier episodes of The Seasons if you want to go back and listen for some background. In the early years of the 1540s, Henry's nephew was King James V of Scotland. The two countries had fought numerous battles against each other. The series was called The Rough Wooing, and it was initiated by Henry VIII because he wanted to force a marriage alliance between James's young daughter, Mary, Queen of Scots, and Henry's son, the future Edward VI. Henry sought this marriage alliance because it would strengthen England's influence over Scotland and prevent the old alliance between Scotland and France from taking place. It also had the added bonus of uniting the Tudor lines and the crowns of the two countries. The military campaigns during this series were called the Rough Wooings, and they included sieges, raids, and battles. English forces under the command of leaders, like Jane Seymour's brother, the Earl of Hartford, launched attacks on Scottish towns and territories. Despite the military pressure, though, the marriage alliance did not happen. Mary's mother, Mary of Guise, was a regent for the young queen. Instead, she had her daughter, betrothed to the French Dauphin, strengthening what was called the old alliance. Mary was sent to be raised in France for her safety and would not return to Scotland until she was a young woman. The Rough Wooing had a lasting impact on Anglo-Scottish relations, contributing to the tensions that persisted for generations. Made it to the final wife of Henry VIII. Her name was Catherine Parr and she was twice-widowed English noblewoman. Her marriage to Henry VIII is a notable chapter in Tudor history because it marks his last marriage but also how the queen was able to shape the protestant reformation Catherine was known for her intellectual pursuits and her commitment to religious reform she played a key role in the education of two of henry's children princess elizabeth and prince edward she took a keen interest in theological discussions and was very sympathetic to the protestant cause it almost got her in trouble a few times but she was swift at making sure that she henry knew that she loved him and would only be subservient to him by all accounts despite her short tenure she was an excellent queen of england she worked to raise her stepchildren, advance her religious beliefs, and nurse the ailing king in his last days. Henry VIII died on January 28, 1547, after 38 years on the throne. His reign saw political upheavals, military triumphs, six marriages, and three children. At the time of his death, Edward was only nine years old. Henry's will stipulated that a council of 16 men would work together to help rule until his son came of age. The executors of this will chose Edward Seymour, the Earl of Hartward, an elder brother to Jane Seymour to be the lord protector of the realm. Upon his death, Henry ensured that the legitimacy of his two daughters was intact. He wrote in his will that if Edward were to die childless, the throne would pass to Mary, his eldest daughter with Catherine of Aragon. If she had no heirs, the throne would pass to Elizabeth, the daughter of Anne Boleyn. Henry also stated that, if needed, his younger sister's heirs, the Greys, would be the next family in line for the throne if the Tudor line died out. This arrangement would have lasting impacts on English history. That's for another episode. In summary, Hayes' legacy is one of profound and lasting change. His role in the English Reformation, his impact on the monarchy's power structure, and the ripple effects of his marital and political decisions all contributed to a transformative era in early modern history. The consequences of his reign were felt for generations, shaping the trajectory of England's religious, political, and cultural landscapes. Well, that's a wrap on today's episode. Remember to check out the blog post linked in the show notes for images and sources. New episodes come out on Fridays, so make sure to follow at accessible.art.history on Instagram for updates. Until then, happy listening.